Summit Church, how you guys doing today? Are you glad you came to church? So thankful you joined us online. Welcome, welcome everybody. Hey, my name is Mike Burnett. My wife Stephanie and I love serving you as pastors here and we're so honored. Thankful for all of you that are here. I want to say again hello to our first time guests and those who are joining us online. Also at our Austin Peay State University campus, we love you guys and we're so thankful for you. And also at our Rossview location, we are bringing video services back to this location, especially as we work through this summer. And uh, one of our services every Sunday will be video. That's our goal. Uh, as we expand into new locations as well, we need to use video more and more. And I'm the one that always messes up the discipline on that. Our team is, is really always ready for that. And uh, I never feel uh, confident or ready. So we wanna say welcome to our video service as well at our Rossview campus today. And so thank you for your flexibility with that as well. Hey, uh, I wanna say, first of all, flourish ladies. What an amazing night, Friday. What an amazing night. And congratulations to our team, Stephanie, Laura, and Rachel, and all the ladies that put that together. What an amazing night. If you missed our flourish night, I wanna encourage you to get online and grab that message. It, the two of them, they were just phenomenal. The worship was incredible. Just the, the prayer times, everything about it was just so great. And uh, thank you for being an incredible church, especially on Flourish Night. We had just such a great time. A lot of guests were there. Many women gave their lives to Jesus and recommitted some things to the Lord and walking through freedom, especially from shame. Come on, somebody. God's doing a great work in our church. We're thankful for that. Hey, as I do every week, I want to say thank you for being a generous church. We're thankful for your giving, especially as you are bringing tithes and offerings through your church. I just want to encourage you as you give Know that God is honored and you are growing in a specific area of obedience. Many of us, our, our biggest hang up with tithing or giving is not necessarily our belief that God's honored by that or that we should. It's a matter of obedience. Are we going to do what God tells us to do? And I want to challenge you to consider that generosity is a, it's a way to posture your heart towards the Lord and towards what God loves. When you give through your church, when you give, when you bring tithes and offerings and you give it through your church, it's a way to posture your heart towards the things that God loves. Think about it. How you give and what you give to is about directing your heart and affections towards the things that God is affectionate about. I'll give you examples. I mean, all the organizations and ministries that you help move forward, whether it's church planning. We've got a, we've got a great ministry here serving uh, student athletes and kids who are athletes. And it's a, it's a new missions in, endeavor that a member of our church felt God called them to, to start up and your giving helps help start that up and fund it regularly. And I, I just wanna say like, it's, it's, it's putting your heart towards what God cares about. I've heard people say the best way to know what somebody cares about is look at their calendar and look at their budget. Where do you spend your time and where do you put your resources? In Matthew 5, 6 and 7 actually, it's the first big message of Jesus that we have in the Gospel of Matthew. It's this long form speech that we call the Sermon on the Mount. I've never heard anyone who flat out rejects the teachings of Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount uh, the Beatitudes, the, the, the Lord's Prayer, how to forgive, all those kind of things. He talks about devotions, behaviors, attitudes. And then he gives this talk about money. He, he specifically tells us that money is a matter of devotion to God. In fact, in Matthew 6, 20, let me just show it to you. Jesus says, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. He's referring to how we give and, and, and how we steward ourselves towards the Lord. Lay up yourselves treasures in heaven where nothing can destroy it, where moth doesn't destroy it, thieves can't break in and steal it. He's just said many of us build treasures on earth and then we got to secure it all or we got to, you know, keep treating it so that nothing destroys it is what he's essentially saying. But he said, lay up treasures in heaven. Nothing can destroy that. I had a, a, a good friend of mine this week was telling me like one of the things about giving to the kingdom is it doesn't have a downturn with the market. It, it doesn't deteriorate. It doesn't follow the trends of Bitcoin. 
Anybody else really frustrated about that right now? Anyway, whatever. Where neither moth nor rust destroy and thieves can't break in and steal. And then look at what he says. Where your treasure is, where you, where you place the treasures of your life, your, your calendar, your talents, your resources, your money, where you place that, it's where your heart will be. This is why giving to the Lord and through the Lord's house is about posturing your heart towards the things that God cares about. So I, I just wanna encourage you in your generosity. First of all, thank you for being a generous church. Those of you that are growing in obedience in this area, just know it's, make sure that you're, you're saying, Lord, I wanna do this because I wanna love what you love and I wanna be affectionate for what you're affectionate for. Amen, everybody? Thank you however you give. It's always a privilege that we get to do more together because of your generosity. All right, turn with me to Acts chapter 15, and we are continuing in our Book of Acts series. Since you brought your Bible, uh, turn with me to Acts 15. I wanna encourage you to take a lot of notes today. I've got a lot for you on the screen. Uh, this is actually one of my favorite topics to teach on, not a favorite topic to live through, uh, but it's something that everybody deals with. I've titled the message, Christianity and Conflict. Christianity and Conflict. Let me just ask you while you're turning there, how many of you hate conflict? Right. How many of you love conflict? Yeah, no one will admit it, but frankly, there are many of you out there. Um, most people statistically are actually conflict averse, but I read a stat that said 85% of working people are in some sort of conflict at any given time, 85%. That could be a conflict with a colleague, it could be a conflict with a boss, it could be a conflict at home. It can also, if you're in like any kind of retail or service industry, you're often in conflict with customers, right, everybody? But most people don't like conflict. They avoid conflict. They'd rather not deal with it. But truthfully, while we don't like it, almost all of us have to deal with it. And everyone has an opinion about it. <laughs> have you ever noticed that you have a lot of opinions about other people's conflict too? Okay, well, apparently you're not on social media. A few years ago, Stephanie and I took a personality test and a lot of our team did. And I encourage you to take this too, especially uh, if you wanna just learn more about yourself and, and maybe how you interact with your spouse or your kids. It's a website, it's free, the number 16personalities.com, 16personalities.com. And it follows the Myers-Briggs personality assessments. And I would encourage you to take it, learn about yourself. Uh, don't take it as a way to prove anything about your spouse or your, you know, those you work with. Take it for you. Well, we both came back with uh, pretty accurate descriptions of our personality types. And we're laying in bed one night reading the findings and she's laughing as I'm reading what it says about my personality. Let me tell you about hers first. Um, <laughs> she came back honestly with an amazing personality type. It's one every parent would be so proud. That's my, my daughter, she's the best, right? I think hers is actually called, and she helped me uh, remember the name of it. It's called Superstar Personality. That's what she said it was called. Uh, traits in this personality include brilliant. Tell me if I'm wrong. These are what you told me. Bright, warm, joyful, exciting to be around. Beautiful, talented. I'm getting this right. Makes Mike a better man, I think was one of the descriptions. <laughs> Great leader, good mom, superb athlete. I think that's all the stuff you told me to say. Anyway, my... <laughs> I'm not going to throw her under the bus up here. My personality, however, uh, is listed on the uh, 16personalities.com website as the debater. And so I'm reading this to her and it says, the debater enjoys arguments and debates, takes sport in arguing and crushing people with words, won't back down from an argument, not necessarily from an evil or sinister place, oh, thank you, 
but you don't mind conflict. You enjoy playing the devil's advocate, which means you just like arguing because. And I'm reading this and I'm like shocked and she's going, that's 100% true. <laughs> so basically she's beauty and I'm beast. <laughs> she's sweet and sugary and I'm salty. Honestly, I don't mind healthy conflict. I think as a leader, it's part of how God's wired me. Now, even though I don't mind conflict, I can't be a sinner because I'm in conflict. Does that make sense? Like I can't revert to name calling or gossip or fighting or hurting people just because and go, well, God wired me to be confrontational. As a leader, you have to be a person who's willing to engage conflict. If you won't engage conflict, it can become a lid to your leadership, right? It can be a, a limiter to your leadership. So there's times I have to hold people accountable for their actions. As a leader and a pastor, I've had to confront sin or unrighteousness. I can't tell you how many times in counseling I've had to say hard things, but that's part of why you want me as your pastor because I'm, I'm, I'm a shepherd who cares for your good. I've been in conflict with other leaders and pastors about poor choices they've made or offensive things that they've done. And it's part of how God's wired me. The truth is though, conflict is part of everyone's life. It's part of how we get better. You know, the scripture that says in Proverbs as iron sharpens iron. How I many of you know iron doesn't get better unless iron hits it? So sometimes conflict is how God chooses to let us grow and get better and grow in wisdom and assertiveness or, or, or maybe God will allow conflict in your life to sharpen some, to smooth out some edges in your life. It's necessary at times to protect others, to defend against evil, and it can even be necessary throughout scripture. I wanna ask you, just to think about it in your own life. How well do you handle or engage in conflict? I want you to think about it as the conflict, uh, conflictor or the conflicted, the one who responds to or receives conflict from others. For some of us, conflict is always offensive. Like we always get on guard, we get violent, aggressive, and angry. For some of us, conflict shuts us down and we get nervous or anxious or, or, or we get like really fearful or scared. For some of us with conflict, we just avoid, we leave, we break relationships. For some of us, conflict is it's, it's how we end relationships. I'm gonna get in there, I'm gonna give them a piece of my mind and I'm gonna let them have it and I don't care what happens and where the chips may fall. Well, think about how you handle conflict. Are you willing to embrace it for growth? Are you willing to engage in conflict in order to stop someone from harming others? Would you prefer to avoid it altogether or speaking up to someone when they need it? How do you deal with being offended? Are you a confronter? Are you an avoider? Do you seek reconciliation? Do you prefer to gossip about it? Some people won't conflict or confront at all, but they will gladly tell a whole lot of other people about it. Would you prefer to destroy the person who hurts you? Is vengeance in your heart? I'm just asking some leading questions. And honestly, this could be an entire series, so I'm not gonna say everything that there is to say about conflict, but we're coming to a text where the two pastors of the church planning movement get into a major fight. Now, it's not like a fight like some of you have watched on TMZ, you know what I'm saying? But it is a conflict. This is an older crowd, so you guys don't really know what TMZ is, but my next crowd knows what I'm talking about here. We're coming to a place where two of the great faith leaders have a major conflict, and it impacts their friendship, it impacts their working relationship, but actually God uses it to advance the gospel twice as fast because they have a breakup and go do it on their own. It seems like a tough moment. But I watched these two, Paul and Barnabas, walk it through with incredible wisdom that we can learn from. They have a major disagreement, and we're not only gonna see what happens to them, we're gonna leave the text today and go see what Jesus says, especially about conflict that's offensive, and we're gonna get to that in just a moment. 
So let me just start by saying sometimes church folks don't get along. One of my favorite verses in Ephesians is when the apostle Paul tells the Ephesian church to bear with one another. And the, the layman's term version of that statement is put up with folks. You ever known folks that you just gotta tolerate and put up with, hello? Are y'all in a talkative mood at all today? Sometimes you just gotta put up with one another. You gotta bear with one another. They, nobody's perfect. Nobody has a life of all strengths. Everyone has weaknesses, a dark side. Everybody has their insecurities. Sometimes church folks don't get along. Unfortunately, I think in the church world, some people visit a church and they just expect it to be a bunch of angels floating around with wings on and harps all the time and everything's just amazing. No, that's not the case. Churches are full of humans. And if these humans aren't Jesus, we've got problems. And given enough time, we're gonna have conflict. We're not gonna always get along. I'm gonna say something you don't agree with. We're gonna do a song you don't like. Somebody's gonna steal your parking lot, parking spot in the whole lot. They're gonna take the whole thing. Somebody's gonna steal your parking spot. While you're pulling into it, they're gonna zip in there. That happened to me recently uh, in pub at a uh, Walmart or something. I was waiting on a spot. Someone slid in there. So I slapped your tires, but... <laughs> Hey, then I repented and I left their tires slashed. I didn't pay for them. I just said, I'm oh, sorry. That did not happen. It's a joke. But sometimes church folks don't get along. So, so remember what's been happening so far. There's been all this uh, amazing gospel presentation. The, the preachers are getting persecuted. Riots come along after the case. The religious group is like persecuting the church, but the church is growing, the church is growing, the church is growing. And we've had two other conflicts in the scripture uh, of note is, is uh, the one where they're deciding how to put you know, people in volunteer positions to help serve the widows and the poor. And then in Acts 15, we have this conflict over theology. Now there's a personality clash. There's a, there's a difference in opinions. Watch what happens. So in verse 36, it says, now after some days, it seems like a transitional paragraph, but it's really important. After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Remember, they're the ride or die. They're a squad here. They're, but, they're best buddies. Barnabas, the encourager, he's defended Paul to the other apostles. And so Paul's the apostle. Barnabas is with him. <clears throat> and they've been doing ministry. And Paul says, hey, let's go back and visit the brothers in every city where we've proclaimed the word of the Lord. This is great. They're saying, we want to go back to every town on our missionary journey. And we want to go visit them. And let's see how they're doing. That's actually really good pastoring. That's great apostolic leadership. They want to check in on their people. They were ministry colleagues. You have to understand the, the context of their relationship. They shared an assignment from God. They did life together. They did ministry together. They rode in the same carriage. I mean, they were prepping sermons together. They were bouncing ideas off each other. Imagine how exciting it was for them. They're building for the first time the churches of Jesus Christ. They're called by God, sent out by apostles. They're on the road together constantly. And frankly, they're crushing it. They are super successful. They're surviving all this persecution and they're just doing great work for God. They're preaching, planning churches, they're spirit-filled, they're Christians, they're seeing miracles happen. These are like the best of the best, right, at the time. These are really godly men doing really godly work on a really godly assignment. They're caravanning together. They're doing it as friends. Paul, the ultimate encourager, or Barnabas, you know Paul would be like, how'd you like that sermon? And Barnabas, oh my gosh, Paul, it's the best sermon I've ever heard. You know, he's such an encourager. And at this point, we see for the first time, now they're making a second loop to just check on the churches they started. And what about that young guy that we planted in Antioch of Pisidia? What about the ladies that started that home group, that home church in that one town? Let's go back and check on them and see how they're doing. Great apostolic leadership. By the way, your small group leaders call because they care about you. 
Your pastors are calling because they care about you. Your campus pastors are calling because we're committed to your care. This is part of pastoral leadership. Then it says in verse 37, now Barnabas on the second journey to go check on churches, Barnabas says, hey, I wanna take John who we call Mark. This would be Mark who ended up writing the gospel of Mark. Barnabas says to Paul, hey, I wanna take John called Mark. But Paul thought best not to take with them the one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia. In other words, Paul's going, I don't wanna take John Mark. He didn't go with us to Pamphylia, he's a quitter. He didn't show up, he wasn't at the bus stop. We asked him to come. He, like I can imagine this conversation. Paul, Barnabas like, hey, let's bring John Mark. Paul goes, what? John, that dude deserted us in Pamphylia. I'm not taking him with us. You see that little attitude creeping here? This is how I tell the story anyway. <laughs> Paul said, it's best not to take him because he withdrew from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to do this work. Now, maybe Paul's going, he doesn't know these churches. He doesn't know these leaders. Maybe Paul's saying, he's a dirtbag because he didn't show up when we needed him to. <clears throat> Whatever the case, <clears throat> Barnabas has an idea about John and Paul doesn't like the idea. So the next verse says, and there arose a sharp <clears throat> disagreement. I don't know about you, but I've never used that language ever. I got in a fight with somebody, you know what I'm saying? I got an argument. From now on, when Stephanie and I uh, argue, I'm gonna say, it feels like we're having a sharp disagreement. <clears throat> Husbands, I'm giving you that as ammunition here. <clears throat> you can use that language. I'm just trying to be biblical, honey. Feels like we're in a sharp disagreement. Next time your kids talk back and you're trying to correct them, just look at them and says, I'm feeling a bit of a sharp disagreement here. So look what it says. So there arose, we see them. I mean, it's, it, this, by the way, I love that Luke doesn't gossip too much about this story. He just says what happened and what the response was. And then it says, so there arose a sharp disagreement. So they separated from each other. Break up. All we know, Barnabas had an idea. Paul didn't like the idea. The sharp disagreement means they fought it out and they didn't resolve it. So they broke up. Barnabas, it says, took Mark with him. Ha ha, take that, Paul. I'm gonna take him anyway. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus on the tour to go check on churches. But Paul now chooses Silas and departs, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. Now, look at what happens. So Barnabas takes his buddy with him and they go on and do the job. They're gonna go check on churches. Paul chooses Silas and now it says, now being commended by the brothers. They're commended to the grace of God. So they move on with their assignment as well. This is really interesting. Paul and Barnabas have a sharp disagreement about doing ministry with a guy named John, also known as Mark. When's the last time you got in a fight with somebody about how to do ministry? I mean, this is like, if you think the things you fight over are silly, they're fighting over how to win the lost and how to preach the gospel and how to care for the church. Remember how I said church is full of humans and we fight over dumb stuff too? I don't know about you, but getting into a disagreement about this kind of thing makes, makes my issues not seem so, um, make, make, make my issues seem a little different. We get into fights about uh, spending, about parenting. We get into fights with neighbors about what they do with their edge of the yard. I mean, we get into fights about all kinds of stuff, political stuff and commentary on social realities. It's crazy to me, but how many of you know Christians conflict too? Sometimes we just don't get along. You know why? Because we're human. And just because you go to church with a Christian, just because you go to small group together or even serve on a dream team together, you may even have sharp disagreements. I don't like the way they do the coffee here anymore. I don't like the way they're making changes to the usher team. I don't like what they said in that message this weekend. 
So we raise up sharp disagreements. Please don't think Christians are perfect or never have disagreements. Listen to me. Now I'm talking to church people here. I'm not gonna talk about how to do conflict resolution in the world. Hello, I'm not hired by DC to go settle all their disputes. But until Christ returns, we will have conflict. The key, listen, here's the key, write this down. Do not allow disagreements to make you a disagreeable person. We are still called to be civil, to do our best to get along with people, to extend grace and mercy. Every time we make changes in our church, you know, people balk and they get frustrated about it or we hire a new person or someone's overseeing a team. Somebody gets frustrated sometimes and, and they, go, well, they, they, they just kick back and they go, I don't like the change, nobody asked me, I'm leaving. I'll never forget when I first became pastor here, had a guy confront me over changes we were making, never asked questions of the how and the why, he just didn't like it. And because I didn't call him for a lunch meeting, I guess, he came to the church and confronted me while we're doing a serve project, we're painting the building. We just, we don't always get along, but just because you disagree doesn't give you the right to be disagreeable. We're still called Christians, Christ is in our name. We're to be civil, get along with others, extend grace and mercy, put up with folks, live by the Holy Spirit and extend the fruit of the Holy Spirit. You can't force fruit, you have to live with the Spirit and he forces fruitfulness out of us, including love, joy, peace, patience. Did you know gossip, dissension and punching people in the throat are not gifts of the Holy Spirit? It's not fruit of the Spirit. But love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. You may struggle with church folks. You may struggle with your pastor. That's not even unusual. But as Christians, when we have conflict, the key is to stay Christian. <laughs> Some of y'all need to hear this about how you talk to non-Christians online. Be a Christian. You might disagree with people's political statements or what they're saying about this or that or the other, but you be the salt of the earth. You be a light to the world. Don't ever lose your Christianity because you decide to win a fight with Christians or non-Christians. Don't give up your Christianity because of conflict. Even if Christian, this is why I quit posting on social, I quit, I quit discussing things on social media. You could put the craziest thing in the world and I promise you, Mike Burnett will not be in your comment section. Because I was losing my civility and my Christianity. I was debating with other pastors in social media, in Facebook groups. That's actually the reason I changed the whole way I use social media, because I was like, I'm not even saved right now. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm, I don't even feel like a believer. If, if unchurched people were reading the comments that I was in debate with these other pastors, they would go, what in the world would I want to do with that church for? So I quit. I, I'm just telling you, I'm just, that's a freebie for you. You just take that. This means forgive, extend grace, don't gossip. Like you need a place to vent and share your frustrations, but leave it there and leave it alone. Let mercy flow, set boundaries. Did you know boundaries are a gift of the, of the spirit? Come on now, the 13th gift of the Holy Spirit. But just because you're a Christian don't mean you won't get frustrated. So let me just take us out of the text for a minute. We don't have a lot of details. We see that a sharp disagreement arose and they broke up over it. By the way, the long-term play is they became friends again into ministry again. So that's later in the book of Acts giving you a little spoiler. But let me just teach you how to have conflict as a Christian. This is where I say I love teaching on this. We have it as a value on our staff. We resolve conflict. It's a, it's, a, it's a phrase that we use a lot on our team. It's probably the most awkward, but one of the most common problems we'll have to deal with. 
What do we do when someone offends us, wounds us, we disagree with them or they hurt us? They say something offensive, they lie about us, they let us down in some way, or literally they hurt us. How do we deal with them? Has anyone ever been hurt by somebody else? Well, I know that we say forgiveness is the goal, but sometimes that's really hard. Pastor Randy is working on his terminal degree, his PhD. Come on, Dr. Randy. And he's doing a focus on forgiveness and how Christians can and should and will forgive and processes for that and what that means. And we don't know how to reconcile sometimes. We don't know how to forgive or sometimes we don't really know who should go first. So I wanna teach you what Jesus taught us specifically about offensive conflict. Now, this is not the exhaustive teaching on conflict and, and how to deal with offense, but I, I just wanna give you kind of a beginning phase of how to look at this. Jesus dealt with this directly in Matthew 18. If you have your Bible, turn there with me in Matthew 18. He says this in verse 15. If your brother or sister, if someone sins against you, he says, you go tell him his fault. Tell him what he did. I'm just gonna use the masculine here because that's how Jesus said it. So you know it's he and she. If it's a female that does it to you or whatever, somebody. If someone goes in and sins against you, you go tell him his fault. Look at this. Between you and him alone. You don't blast it. You don't passive aggressively post about it. You don't call an army of people together. You don't get your jets and sharks and go pick a fight in the middle of the street. And look at the goal. He says, if he listens to you, like he heard the offense. Hey, man, when you said this, it really hurt my feelings. It really offended me. It ticked me off. I was so angry. Whatever, however you want to say it. One-on-one, -on -one, you go tell him. If he listens to you, oh, my goodness, I didn't know. Or, oh, yeah, okay, I know how that could come across. Well, I didn't mean to, you know, however they hear it. Great, you've gained your brother. Here's the goal. Jesus, like, says it on the front end. If you've been offended, go tell him. If he listens, great. That's kind of the, the end. Now, a couple of things I want you to pay attention to here. And it'll help us in dealing with difficult people and with dealing with offense and conflict. If someone's offended you, hurt you, or sinned against you, they've changed some things around you, and you don't like the changes, you are the one responsible to address the one who hurt you. Most people have this attitude, I'm not talking to them until they come apologize to me. I'm just here to tell you something. They don't know they hurt you. They ain't thinking about you. They're not thinking about the offense that you're carrying because they're moving on just doing whatever they're doing and probably doing the thing that upset you to begin with. They're not thinking about that. Very often, offense is, in, is on one side, not two sides. And notice Jesus says, if someone's offended you, you go tell them your offense. You go tell them. You, listen, make it, make it your obligation. It doesn't say you go tell your friends make it a big deal on social media, give them a bad Yelp review. The day of Google reviews and Yelp reviews, just mind blowing. People have been so empowered to be critical, it's crazy. Give them the silent treatment until they come to you and go, what in the world happened? Look, you, the offended person, go and tell them. Between the two of you, don't call your crew, don't bring witnesses, just go, tell them. And listen, if you're not willing to do that conversation, then don't be willing to be upset. If you're not willing to confront somebody who's offended you, then don't be willing to carry the offense. If you're not willing to go, then let it go. Does that make sense? You will do yourself a big favor if you'll just let things roll off of you. Not everything's a big deal. And oftentimes I've found the people that have offended me didn't even mean to do it. They didn't know that they said that thing or they did that thing or they weren't trying to come at me taking my parking spot. They were just trying to park their car and get in the Target, you know, whatever the case. They weren't going, how can I ruin Mike's day? Amen. Nobody's thinking those things about you. Very, but listen, 
If it's eating at you so bad, if you, then go talk to them. And if you're not willing to talk to them, then don't be willing to carry it because that'll hurt you. Unforgiveness, bitterness, it's like drinking poison, expecting them to die. Amen. You know what I'm saying? Don't do that. Jesus continues in verse 16. If he doesn't listen, take one or two others along with you, right? So this is where you grab a friend, like a, a colleague, a, a mutual friend, maybe someone in your small group or on your dream team. Take somebody else with you. This is great at work. You, you have a coworker that offends you and you've tried to talk and they go, I don't care what you say. I ain't changing, blah, blah, you know, whatever. Then if it's still eating at you, now you still have to deal with this, right? And then he says, maybe take one or two other people. One or two, not 38, not the entire internet. And the only reason is so that things can be charged by the evidence of two or three witnesses. I've always, listen, whenever I'm dealing with a, like a couple in conflict, I will not meet with them individually. I say, you have to meet together because being together forces honesty. I've met with the one-on-one -on -one, and man, this side is very compelling. I hear the arguments and I hear his side of the story and I'm like, of course she's a horrible person. <laughs> or I hear her side of the story and I'm like, how in the world do you live with him? And then we meet together and I realize both of you are at fault and you both got issues and I'm just sitting here as a referee going, do y'all hear yourselves? But that's why, when, I mean, it forces honesty when there's some people. But again, if you're not willing to do this, then don't be willing to carry the offense. So call your small group leader. Call a friend that you both can trust. Don't bring your squad who's ready with weapons to take somebody out. It's still not blowing up, gossiping all over the place and posting on social media. Then in verse 17 says, if he still refuses to listen, then tell it to the church. And we're gonna start a new service here. Uh, it's gonna be Offense Tuesday where we line up all offenders on the stage and we're gonna just blast it out. No, we're not doing that. Then you take it to spiritual leadership if it's still elevating. And, and by the way, that will always be a private conversation. You don't do it in front of the congregation. What he's saying is bring it to your pastor if you need to or your small group leader. If they still refuse to listen, take it to your church leadership. And then he says, Jesus, like you gotta remember the goal was originally he heard you and you're fine. But, but here he says, and if they still refuse, so you went one-on-one, -on -one, not listen. I don't care what you say, I'm gonna do what I want. Then you bring it to with another person because it's still eating at you. I'm not listening to you. Then you bring it to your, maybe your pastor, or maybe at this point you gotta take it to the boss, right? If, you're at, if there's a work scenario. And they still refuse to listen. Then he says, let them be to you like a Gentile or a tax collector. Now what that doesn't mean is throw them into a lake of lava. <laughs> now you can destroy them publicly. Actually for Jesus, the Gentiles and tax collectors were his ministry target were his affection, were the people he prayed for. What that's saying is if the offense can't resolve, you put them now on your prayer list. And you treat them as somebody that you, you say, Lord, I know you love this person. I'm trying to love this person. I pray that you'd forgive them, help them find forgiveness. God, I'm praying. Now Gentiles and text collectors are people we witness to and we pray for. So you've not been let off the hook, by the way. If you're willing to carry offense, Go confront it, it's not resolved, and you're still offended, go confront it again, it's still not resolved, bring it to the ultimate leadership. And if it's still not resolved, now they're a part of your prayer focus. That's what Jesus is saying. So I just wanna warn you, if you wanna carry offense, you better be willing to carry them in prayer if they don't change. And if you're not willing to do that, let it go. Can I tell you something? Most things are not that big of a deal. Some things are a big deal. You got abuse, you've got manipulation, deception, all that. That's a big deal. Confront, work through it, whatever. Put some boundaries in place. But look, 
Never take it out to the gossip course. Never take people out and just flail them, even though publicly. For the Christian, we shouldn't be jumping to lawsuits or vengeance. We should seek biblical counsel, biblical conflict resolution. As a last resort, after you've tried everything you can, put them on your prayer list and just go, hey, I tried with you, man, and now I'm praying for you. I'll never forget a major offense that I dealt with years ago. And when I shifted to prayer for the person that offended me, because I'm like a camp builder, I'm, I'm the youngest of three and I'm a sinner and I like to gossip and that's kind of a go-to for me and I don't like that about myself, but especially when I was way younger, I was way more immature. Um, but I remember trying to do that and my mentor was like, why are, you trying to, why are you trying to like let others know your problem? Take it to Jesus. I was like, I don't wanna pray for them. You know, that person that offended me. But I remember when I switched my heart to prayer, I switched to a place of compassion and love for that person. It'll change you Isn't that interesting how God will use offense to change you? And you being in conflict, God will use it to change you. So when Jesus desires desires to be with us, he goes on to say, truly I say to you in context of this text, whatever you bind on earth, I'll bind in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. That's not just some weird random verse about pray for things that you want to happen, he's talking about it in the context of conflict. If, you, if you'll bind yourself to this conflict resolution process, then, then I'll bind my, it'll be bound in the heavens. Like, we'll stand with you for this. He says, if you'll set yourself free from these kind of conflicts, then you'll be set free from the heavens. Look here. He says, if two or three of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it'll be done by my Father in heaven. Here's what he's saying. If you guys will get an agreement about how to get along, then God will be in agreement with you too. We think this verse just means if I just two or three of us agree on anything, I want a Maserati, so come here and pray with me. That's, we get so selfish with cherry picking scriptures. This verse is in context of conflict. And he says, if you guys will agree about this, I'll agree with you too. And I love that Jesus says, I wanna get involved where two or three are gathered in my name, I'm among them. This is a process of how to deal with Christianity and conflict. Paul and Barnabas fought and broke up. I feel like they needed to go back and read Matthew 18. You know what I'm saying? We don't see that they did that. Conflict can be such a difficult thing. It can hinder your prayer life. Look what Jesus said in Matthew 5. He says, if you're offering your gift, this is unrelated. It's another passage. He said, if you're offering your gift on the altar and while you're giving that gift, you remember your brother has something against you. In other words, now you're the offender. You've done something to somebody else. If you're bringing a gift of a tithe, an offering, or even your gift of worship, look at what he says. If you're bringing your offering to the altar and there, remember your brother has something against you, leave your gift there. Some of us go, I'm just not coming back. I'm just gonna take myself with me and go live in my own misery. No, 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 he's saying, leave your gift at the altar and then go be reconciled to your brother or sister and then come offer your gift. Why? Because we wanna offer gifts with a clean heart where I'm not angry or bitter or malicious towards anybody. Let me tell you something. God would rather you keep your gifts than to give your gifts with an evil heart of vengeance and anger and unforgiveness. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying today? In Romans chapter 12, verses 14 through 19, the apostle Paul, you gotta understand unresolved conflict can hinder your prayer life, your worship life, which is why we gotta get it fixed. The apostle Paul writing to the church at Rome says, bless those who persecute you. Oh man, how many of you hate that verse? They cause a lot of pain in my life. Well, bless them. I bless them, all right. Me and my boy Smith and what, you know, like, that's how some of us wanna bless people. That's Southern right there, some of y'all Northerners, West Coasters are like, what in the world? I don't advocate for violence, please hear me. 
Bless those who curse you. Rejoice, bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Come on, Christians in conflict. Do not be haughty. Don't be arrogant, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil. This is just Christianity 101, folks. Well, you gonna say something about me? I'm gonna say something about you. You gonna mistreat me? I'm gonna mistreat you. No, no, no. Two wrongs don't make a right, and two evils don't make you righteous. Anybody feel like you just got ammo for your kids right now, like how to deal with conflict at home? Never be wise in your sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what's honorable in the sight of all. Here it is. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. You can't control how others treat you, but you can control how you treat others. Hey, listen, don't lose your Christianity because you're in conflict with Christians. Don't lose your witness because someone's come against you. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. But leave it to the wrath of God. It is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Man, it's, it's pretty hard to get around that verse, isn't it? Amen. Incidentally, I, I do believe vengeance and defense are different. Defend, protect in the moment, right? But vengeance, that's God's problem. God can get people way better than you can. And the greatest getting them is that he wrecked their lives and save them, transform them and take the punishment of their sin and their crime and their gossip and their offense and that he take all that on himself and give them the same mercy that he's given you. So how do we conflict as Christians? Be like, do what Jesus said. If you're, if you're offended, go to that person. If they hear you, great. If not, then, you know, if you need to elevate it up, fine. But you gotta be willing to elevate it all the way to your prayer list. And if you won't confront, don't carry it. Let it go. Most people that have hurt you probably don't realize they did or didn't mean to. And if they did mean to, then you need some really clear, hard boundaries. And you need to set, you need to like let them be in the hands of Jesus. God, go get them. I can't. I can't handle them anymore. I don't wanna be in a relationship with them anymore. I'm out. Are y'all hearing anything what I'm saying today? Is this helpful at all? Okay, so let's come back to the text in Acts 15 because the end of the verse is actually pretty powerful. So remember, Paul and Barnabas, killing it, crushing it, successful, planting churches. Now they're on a tour going back to check on their churches and they have a sharp disagreement. <laughs> And Barnabas takes John with him and they go off to Cyprus to do what they planned. Paul grabs Silas and they're now commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia. Remember Barnabas and, and, and John went to Cyprus. Paul and Silas go to Syria and, there's a lot of names, I'm doing my best here. To Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Listen to me. Conflict does not excuse us from obedience. They set out to go strengthen the churches and they still went and strengthened the churches. They didn't lose their assignment because they lost a relationship. They didn't give up on God because God's people gave up on them. They kept going with what God put in front of them. Can I just tell you something? Conflict is not an excuse for you to be disobedient. 
I love this passage. It inspires me as a leader and a pastor, but also as a person who wants to follow Jesus. The whole passage starts with Paul and Barnabas wanting to take a trip back to the cities and check on churches and encourage them. And so now, remember what he says at the beginning, let's return, remember what he said at the beginning, verse 36, let's go back and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaimed and let's go see how they are. So look what they do anyway. Even though they didn't go together, they actually went on two different trips now. Listen to this. Their conflict actually multiplied their impact. Their breakup made them twice as effective. So now Barnabas and John are going one way, Paul and Silas. I think their sharp disagreement was like, hey, we may not be able to do this together, but let's still go do it. Let's still go do what God's called us to do. And listen, just because you get in conflict with someone on the coffee team or someone in the parking lot or someone that you work with or someone in your small group, or just because your, your pastor frustrates you with some sentiment or statement, doesn't mean you have the right to say no to God and his assignment on your life, to be a Christian, to be godly, to be faithful to his mission and assignment on your life. It did not stop Paul or Barnabas from doing the work of returning to those churches they started. Don't let disagreements keep you from doing the right thing, keep you from doing the godly thing. I've, I'm always so shocked. When, when conflict arises or confrontation happens, people go, you know what, I'm gonna take my ball and go home. You're not a four-year-old. Don't let these things keep you from doing what God's asked you to do. Don't let disagreements cause you to be disagreeable to God or to others. You may be going through a terrible divorce, but don't you dare divorce your children. By the way, if you're going through that divorce, I'm really sorry and I wanna pray with you and we wanna help you heal and reconcile and we've seen it happen many, many times here and we would love to help you. But don't you stop loving God, don't you stop parenting your kids, don't you lose your Christianity or your civility with your ex-spouse because you can't get along. I can't tell you how many times as a pastor I've watched godly couples that love Jesus and as soon as they break up, it's like they, they hate everybody including their spouse. Do not do that. You don't give up on God's assignment on your life because you have a breakup and couldn't get along. You may have a quarrel with your neighbor, but you can be still, be kind and godly and wave your hand when they drive by and throw water on their house if it cuts on fire. <laughs> you may be ending a season at your job for various reasons, but you work as unto the Lord. You be faithful as an employee or a boss and don't hurt others because someone's hurt you. I know so many Christians who give up on their church or their small group, or unfortunately even on serving God because of a conflict with other church people. I'm only talking to this crowd because this is who I work for. I remember two years ago, I was in the middle of a major situation. There's a lot of players involved. Many of them were in my small group. <laughs> All of them were in fact. And, and I had to, in one of the small groups that I have, and I had to go and like negotiate some of the conflict and some of the ways we were treating and using these situations. And so as a pastor, I'm, I'm gonna walk in humility and how you doing? I, I, I just wanna share some thoughts. Let me ask you some questions. Can I give you some advice? And whenever I start there, most people are like, yes, pastor, great. But this time it didn't go so great. And the advice I gave was based on wisdom I'd gotten from outside counsel, my pastor, my overseer, mentor. And I give that, that advice and that person responded with offense and frustration and anger. And I'm saying, I'm not, I'm not trying to hurt you. I'm not trying to offend. I'm trying to, let's, let's do this as Christians together. And that turned into a new conflict 
because I was willing to confront that turned into a new conflict that I've grieved. And I'm, I'm telling you, I, I've asked the Lord, did I handle that right? Did I, did I walk that out with humility and grace? I don't, I'm, I'm telling you to, to say like, we don't always get this right, but, I'm, but are we willing to be humble about that? Are we willing to confess where we've made mistakes? And, and honestly, the, the counsel that was given was good and right and healthy, but it, was, it became an offense to the other person to where they no longer participated in the life of their church that they had helped build. I love that Paul was not swayed, however, in his heart to serve God and his heart to serve the kingdom of God and his heart to serve the church. If you've got conflict with Christians, don't take it out on God. Don't take it out on his church. You know, one of the critiques people have about Christians, church is full of hypocrites. And part of that is, I, I, I think a lot of the hypocrisy is not the issue. I think sometimes we just don't have thick skin to endure conflict or disagreements with other Christians. So we just bail out on church or bail out on relationships with others. Listen to me, you stay focused on Jesus. You stay focused on the church that God has placed you in. You stay focused on resolution and restoration. You stay focused on forgiveness and serving God. Never lose sight of Jesus because some of his followers got in conflict, a sharp disagreement with you. Paul and Barnabas stayed on mission, so should you. Stay focused on Jesus, no matter what. Don't give up on God, don't give up on his people, don't give up on his assignment for your life because of offense or conflict. I've told pastors for years, you gotta have thick skin to lead God's people. Well, Christians, the same is true for you. You gotta bear with one another, you gotta put up with each other. Not everything's a big deal. Some things need to just be forgiven and move on. But what if we decided I'm gonna live with forgiveness and reconciliation in my life? What if we choose this week to work on restoring relationships, calling someone or texting someone and repair something that's been hurting you or, or confront the one that's caused you the pain? And then what if you set up a healthy boundary? Maybe that boundary is, hey, I forgive you, but I don't have to do life with you. I forgive you, but I, don't, I can't walk with you anymore. Like Paul and Barnabas, hey, this disagreement, we're gonna, have a, we're gonna have a timeout for a little while. God modeled this for us best. And while we were sinners and terribly offensive to God, he gave his life, he gave his son for us that we can find freedom and find forgiveness. And I want you to understand if God can hold nothing against you because of Jesus, you can hold nothing against others because of Jesus. What he's forgiven in you, you can forgive in others. As Christ has forgiven us, we can forgive and resolve and move forward from broken relationships. So I just want you to evaluate as you close your notebooks and, and lean in on a prayer moment here. Who do you need to confront? Who do you need to forgive? Who do you need to ask forgiveness? Leave your, your offering at the altar and go reconcile. Who do you need to ask forgiveness from? Let Jesus guide your relationships and bring breakthrough. As he has forgiven you, you can forgive others. He goes on in the Sermon on the Mount and says, if you can't forgive others, have you really received forgiveness from Jesus? Christians are gonna conflict, neighbors are gonna fight, coworkers and family. But as we have conflict, don't forget we're Christians. We even conflict as Christians, the way Jesus taught us, the way scripture directs us. Lord, we honor you today. We thank you for your word. Thank you that it's still active and alive and it's powerful. It's still doing great things in our lives and in our hearts. God, we thank you that this teaching today where Paul and Barnabas have a breakup and they have conflict, God, 
you were so aware of how it was handled then, and I believe that, God, you have an awareness of how conflict can be handled for us even today. Lord, in Jesus' name, would you give us the grace and the mercy and the wisdom and the ability to live at peace with all people, to bear with one another, as long as it depends on us, that we live at peace with everyone. God, would you shine a light on the areas that need to be addressed from this message? Relationships that are broken and splintered and fractured because of offense or hurt. Maybe it's us to them or them to us. God, would we resolve what needs to be resolved? Would you lead us, Holy Spirit, to make sure that we're obeying and doing this the way you've taught us according to scripture? God, I pray in Jesus' name that Lord, as we have received your forgiveness, for our sin, our depravity, our need for a savior. God, would we extend forgiveness to others? Lord, you are the only one here who knows the depth and the pain associated with every person's hurt in this room. You know it so well, and you offer healing today and restoration and reconciliation. God, would you bring us freedom today? Bring us freedom from those that have hurt us, wounded us, assaulted our family, taken advantage of others, God, to bring us freedom. In Jesus' name, we thank you, Lord, that the greatest gift we ever received is your forgiveness. So God, I pray for everyone in this room that we'd reaffirm that we've received your forgiveness. And we'd ask for help on how to extend it to others. Could you just pray this with me, everyone watching, joining online and in the room? Say, God, I receive your forgiveness. I believe Jesus died to offer me forgiveness for my sin. I receive it. I accept it by faith. I'm saved. I'm a child of God because of your mercy, your forgiveness extended to me. God, would you help me walk in freedom from hurt and offense and unforgiveness towards others in Jesus' name. Pray this in me and say, God, I'm all in. I'm all in on your word, on your spirit, on how you would lead me, I'm all yours to the glory of God. I receive it in Jesus' name. Come on, everybody, say amen. Amen, everybody.